0: Hello, my rebels. Today, I um, tell you that how the media is conducting itself during this pandemic. Uh, a tale of two media outbursts, one on Twitter and one on the CBC website. I won't give away any more. I think you're going to enjoy today's show. It's really important to see the video in the second part of the show uh, because it's a rebuttal to the CBC. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad because I know you're on a podcast. Uh, You'll sort of be able to get it from the sound of it, but may I encourage you to become a Rebel News Plus subscriber? You get the video version of the podcast. And on shows like today, where we have a video piece of evidence, it really counts. Eight bucks a month, 80 bucks for the whole year, access to the video version of this podcast, plus video shows from Sheila gunn and David Menzies. And I think the most important part really is that you subsidize Rebel News because we don't take a dime from Trudeau, that's for sure. Just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, two stories illustrate the media party's corrosive role in this pandemic. It's November 23rd, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're a biggest carbon hey, consumer you know, I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is the government about why i it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Have you seen any member of the media party who's opposed to the lockdown? I haven't. They're ecstatic about it. It's almost erotic, the joy they seem to get from reporting on deaths and punishments, except there really aren't a lot of deaths, but there sure are a lot of punishments. Yes, I acknowledge that there are now more than 11,000 deaths from the virus in Canada, and each death is a tragedy. But I also know that in any given year, there's between 6,500 and 8,500 deaths from the common flu. So, this isn't exactly the Black Plague. I also know that the average age of the deceased is actually higher than the average life expectancy of Canadians. It's in the mid 80s. And that doesn't make me feel better. Uh, every life is valuable. Someone who is 85 wants to live to be 86. I'm just saying that knowing who is at risk means we can focus our attention and care on them rather than locking down schools or businesses. It's the seniors' homes that are the great risk. And Quebec seniors' homes in particular. Now, there's nothing in the water out there. There's nothing genetically different about people in Quebec. There's nothing in the air. I suspect it's the obvious. They are Canada's most pro-euthanasia province, and I think these seniors' homes have very leftist, do-not-revive policies in place. I think the government is enjoying getting rid of people who are a financial burden on the healthcare system, just like New York's Governor Cuomo did. Uh, Alberta's virus statistics are the most useful in getting to the root of this. They show that only 2.3% of people who died from the virus were otherwise healthy. A grand total of 10 people out of 4.5 million citizens have died over the last seven months, who were otherwise healthy. What's so interesting is that the average person in Alberta who died from the virus had massive pre-existing health problems. 76% had three or more big problems, the most common being high blood pressure, dementia, and heart disease. So yeah, it is a deadly disease if you're over 80 and have multiple serious health problems, even riskier if you have a do not revive order attached to your bed in the Quebec nursing home. So don't let that happen to you other than that, I think you'll probably be okay. So the lockdowns aren't about science or medicine, they're about power. Here's Jane Fonda, former actress, lifelong leftist. Remember, she literally went to Vietnam in the middle of the war to pose with Viet Cong soldiers looking to shoot down American pilots. She posed against Americans. She was the former concubine of Ted Turner, the inventor of CNN. Here she is talking about how amazing COVID-19 is, it's a blessing. This is a crossroads,
1: it's an existential crossroads. And and we are people who can help determine which way humanity goes. What a great gift, what a tremendous opportunity. We're just so lucky. We have to use it with every ounce of intelligence and courage uh, and wherewithal we have, because you're absolutely right, this is it. This is it, and, um,
0: you know, I just think um, COVID is God's gift to the left. (laughs) Now, Jane Fodder herself is in amazing health. She's turning 83 next month and is fitter than me. COVID won't hurt her, which is why she's so excited to use it as an excuse to reform the world, which is what our media party does, too. They want lockdowns and taxes and taxes and regulations and as Mark Morano called them, vaccine passports. They want to build back better and reset things. They love working from home if they have to work at all and getting paid. It's the little people who can suffer the lockdowns. Right now, the entire public school system of New York is shut down. Parents have been thrown for a loop. Those who still have jobs now have to stay home to take care of the kids. Total mess for public school parents. Private schools are still running though. But public school teachers, they're still getting paid. They're catching up on their Netflix and ordering in food from DoorDash. So look at this, Manitoba's bully of a Premier, Brian Pallister. He boasted to Trudeau's CBC that he has the harshest lockdown in all of Canada. He's proud of that.
2: Premier, did you wait too long long to put in new restrictions?
1: I don't think so, Rosemary, but there's always room for hindsight. I think probably uh, we're not at Monday morning yet, so we won't be starting with Monday morning quarterbacking for a while. What we've done is we've stepped up our restrictions, which were already more uh, strict than most jurisdictions in the country, to be the most strict in the country.
0: Yeah, when a premier is boasting to Trudeau's CBC about bullying citizens, he isn't a conservative. I don't care what he calls himself. Weirdly, he's ordering stores not to sell certain things. Uh, You can buy some things in the store, but not other things, because science. Apparently, the virus knows what you're buying before it decides to attack you. So one of the things that was blocked off was magazines. Oh, finally, the reporters got mad. Look at this from the Canadian Association of Journalists. The government of Manitoba has declared news non-essential during the pandemic. We're concerned, and looking into this, as we've said many times this year, governments cannot use the pandemic as an excuse to restrict information and undermine democracy. Actually, I haven't heard them say that, including when Kian Bextie was frog-marched away from Rideau Cottage at a Trudeau press conference. I actually didn't hear anything from the Canadian Association of Journalists, but let's put that aside for a second. By the way, if you look at those magazines in the rack there, most of them are junk. Uh, most of the rest are American. Now, I'm not for censorship at all, And I'm not for lockdowns, but sorry, there actually isn't any news on that display. Just the physical version of clickbait, I suppose. But fair enough. Who the hell is Brian Pallister to ban the sale of books or magazines or anything? The Canadian Association of Journalists was furious. And then just five hours later, Brian Pallister knew what to do. He had to protect his base. His base being the media party. So this is the new tweet from the Canadian Association of Journalists. Update. We've learned this decision was an oversight and will be corrected. We thank the government of Manitoba for and many reporters for their efforts. Oh, phew. So the reporters uh, got themselves exempted. Just themselves, though. So now they can get back to promoting the lockdown for everyone else. I mean, you didn't actually think they wanted the lockdown to apply to them, did you? They're part of the ruling class. That's the first exhibit today. How the media party loves, loves the lockdown, as long as it's for someone else. Here's exhibit two, a lie. Completely overwhelming. Steinbeck emergency room at capacity treating COVID-19 patients, nurse says. Patient at Bethesda Regional Health Center, ER, being triaged in their cars, union says. Okay, hang on. Is it a nurse who said it or the union? The story's already changed and we're not even past the headline. I'll read a bit. A Manitoba emergency room nurse says her hospital is drowning and desperate for help in the face of a flood of COVID-19 patients that is pushing staff and capacity to the brink. It has been completely and absolutely overwhelming, said Sarah Neufeld, who works at Bethesda Regional Health Center in Steinbach, Manitoba. We don't just have a full waiting room. We have a full waiting room and a full emergency room of very sick and sometimes rapidly declining patients that require a lot of one on one care. Nursing that we can't give, we cannot safely give. Oh my God, it really is time to panic. I'll read some more. COVID-19 patients rushed to the hospital by ambulance are sometimes forced to wait for hours in the ambulance bay with EMS care before a bed is available for them, she said. More stable patients are asked to come in, get triaged, and return to their vehicles to wait, sometimes for hours, Neufeld added. That looks like every single bed being full. That looks like both of our negative pressure rooms being full. Sometimes even our trauma rooms are full. We have patients in the hallway, she said. Oh my God. Hey, I just have one question. Is any of that true? Like even the word the. I mean, that would be crazy if that story was true, but is it true? Uh, In the entire province of Manitoba, and I'm going from the government website here, quote, there are 296 people in hospital with 52 people in intensive care. That's across the entire province for COVID. So there's there's about 1.4 million people in all of Manitoba. And uh, there's 67 hospitals in Manitoba. So it sounds like there's about four COVID patients per hospital. Uh, 52 of them in intensive care. So not even one per hospital. I mean, it's not great. It's like a bad flu season. But is anything in that CBC story true? I just showed you my source of information for the hospital statistics. It's the Manitoba government's own pages. Uh, I presume they're not lying. They say there's only 52 people in intensive care in the entire province, less than one per hospital on average. But the CBC says there are people literally being triaged in the parking lot? That would be terrible if it was true. I wonder, I wonder though why the CBC didn't, you know, go there with, what's that word again? Oh, that's right, a camera. (laughs) I mean, sounds like a spectacle, sounds like a war zone, really. Sounds perfect for the largest news-gathering organization in Canada with thousands of staff. I mean, why not, you know, go to report it rather than just quote a union leader or something? Well, here's why. Watch this video by a citizen journalist. It goes on for a bit. And uh, some language is salty, but uh, here's someone actually in Steinbeck who actually knows what's going on no matter what the CBC says is going on. Here, it takes a couple of minutes, but just watch. You oh. can't walk. You
1: can't walk. Sorry,
2: excuse. Do you can have a mouse that you can put on? I have an sanction, sorry.
1: Okay. You're walking in the emergency room that's overflowing. It's overflowing. They're having to take people into the parking lot and work on them right in their cars in this emergency and stop them. We did this live. We are just going to take the footage or some pictures. We thought we should do live so we can get people. Right
0: the time, the day, when the beep up, up. <laughs> there's absolutely nobody in here. There's one person. Lloyd. That's real footage from Steinbach, the CBC, I know it's gonna shock you here, they're lying. Fake news, disinformation, designed to whip you up and demand a lockdown. Now, I'm sorry that 52 people really are in intensive care in the whole province. That's almost one per hospital. I think that given all we've known about the pandemic for, you know, seven, eight months now, I think they're probably prepared for it, medically speaking. And I think the media party is prepared for it politically speaking, aren't they? They're the source of the misinformation now. They're the source of the risk now. They're the ones actively lobbying to shut down the economy now. Oh, except for the five hours that the lockdown has affected them. Stay with us for more.
1: have to uh, admit the reality that there's certain behavior that people are saying you have to engage in to deal with climate change. And I think one of the great mistakes of the climate movement, uh, the environment movement, is that it has allowed this to be too much of a behavioral debate and not a sufficiently scientific debate. So there are things we know about coronavirus, but there's a lot we don't know about it. And yet we're doing things. We tell people to change, you know, wash their hands, to wear a mask, to shelter at home, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, their whole series of of, of, behavior, of of social distancing and so forth. But we, we, we haven't turned it into a behavioral debate. Why? Because it is so visibly dangerous. It's killing people now. And climate change is sort of still out there for people so that the debate is centered more on the behavior, oh, you can't eat meat or you can't, you know, you gotta close your window, you gotta change your heat, you can't do this or that, rather than focusing on the scientific choices and the expertise that is staring us in the face that says, this is even more dangerous than coronavirus. Climate crisis is more dangerous than
0: coronavirus because it will create more pandemics Well, that was John Kerry, the failed presidential candidate and the disastrous secretary of state for Obama, the unaccomplished senator, who was speaking at an MIT video call earlier this fall. Well, back then he was just a harmless academic, but now he's being tipped as the climate czar by Joe Biden, if, as increasingly looks likely... Biden does become the next president of the United States. What does it mean to have such an ideologue as climates are, especially after four years of pro energy administration under Donald Trump? Joining us now is the man who would know our friend Mark Morano, the boss of climatedepot.com. Mark, great to
2: see you again. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here, Ezra.
0: You know what? Uh, we're both rooting for Donald Trump. You're an American. I'm a friend of America from up north here. We both amongst other things, admire his approach to the global warming scheme. You know, I'll never forget, he said, I represent Pittsburgh, not Paris. Well, John Kerry was the the U.S. negotiator um, who went to Paris to sell out American industry to China. Looks like he's going to be back in charge of that
2: file. Yes, it does. One of uh, Biden's first acts uh, is to announce this John Kerry is going to be as the presidential climate envoy. And what's interesting is Kerry as Secretary of State, of course, was heavily involved in climate during the Obama administration. In fact, he went so far as to bring his granddaughter out when they signed the UN Paris Agreement. and They agreed to it in 2015, December, but a couple months later in 2016, Kerry brought out his granddaughter to sign the historic agreement to show how important it was. And then, of course, a few years later, they declared the U.N.-Paris agreement was not, would not save the planet after all. All of these leaders, including top U.N. Uh, officials, all admitted it wasn't enough. It was inadequate. And we need a lot more. But John Kerry has been at this climate hustle, if you will, for decades. And now he's going to have his highest profile role yet. In the upcoming Biden administration, course, assuming the election fraud doesn't pan out, and by the way, I don't think if you know, I don't I think election fraud is going to be very difficult to prove. I don't expect uh, President Trump to be successful. Sorry if I disappointed some of your listeners there.
0: No, you know what, I'm of the same view. I I believe in my bones that uh, yeah. the Tammany Hall Democratic Party machine in the big cities uh, stole the vote as they uh, often do. I think, as Joel Pollack says. Um, Most of the stealing was approved in advance by the courts when they changed the voting rules just a few months before Election Day in the name of the pandemic. So the pandemic allowed the Democrats to harvest votes and mail in votes. I think that's what stole the election, not so much uh, shenanigans on the day of. But uh, you know what? Uh, There's a flicker of hope left. But I think we have to be rational and assume uh, that Biden will be the next president I think he'll be president largely in name only. He is the least vigorous president to be elected, at least in the television age. Um, he's distracted. He mumbles. I think he's losing his cognitive sharpness. So who he appoints is doubly important. With Trump, you know, there was all his cabinet was constantly on edge. He would sack someone like he did on The Apprentice. With Biden, I don't know who the real power will be, but if... If John Kerry is given this position,
2: I think he might have some power. He will, in fact, this is in many ways the progressive left ideal president, Joe Biden, because he's a guy, he's puts up a gentle, unthreatening, grandfatherly old man image, at the same time, he's not vigorous, he's not engaged, he's not strong leader at all in any shape or form, but they get to run the show behind the scenes. And if you look back at his climate, particularly on climate, we had AOC, the Sunrise Movement, Bernie Sanders, John Kerry, all of them heavily involved in writing Biden's proposals You know, for, for as candidate Biden. So it makes perfect sense that they're going to be now in charge as he's president. And don't be fooled. Don't think, oh, well, Biden is not that radical. Biden's not going to be the one, one calling the shots here. He might be able to stop one or two extreme things if it catches his attention or if some interest group, that, you know, predict, particularly labor unions when it comes to energy policy, scream loud enough. Uh, but in general, they're going to run roughshod. And the fact that John Kerry is in here is a good indication of that. And the, the big thing here is, of course, the COVID climate connection of yeah. John Kerry.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just reading an essay in Market Watch that is on your website, Climate Depot. Here's John Kerry. He said, you could just as easily replace the words climate change with COVID-19. It is truly the tale of two pandemics, deferred, denied, and distorted, one with catastrophic consequences, the other with even greater risk if we don't reverse course. The long-term parallels between this pandemic and tomorrow's gathering storm of climate crisis are more clear. I think that this... Um, pandemic is exactly that it they were never really able to scare people about climate sure they scared kids and they scared Greta into depression over it but grown-ups weren't scared enough to change their lives their lives and how they lived but this pandemic has absolutely scared I don't know half the people into wearing masks and staying home and lockdowns and it's the same junk science junk economics but it seems to work so Carrie's no dummy he's going to use the pandemic
2: argument to get all his other errands done yeah in fact he goes even beyond just the solutions he now he's is talking about these zoon uh zoonotic uh, i don't want to b- butcher the word but uh z- zoonological d- affections, the idea that animals, the animal world, by by humans encroaching on the animal world, we are allowing these virus mutations to happen. And that's how we end up with COVID night, zoological. That's how we end up with COVID breakdown. So he's basically going to turn climate policy into a subset of COVID policy. In other words, if we tackle climate change, we'll have less viruses, less fear. And what's interesting about this is I'm writing a book, Ezra, on the Green New Deal. I'm just finishing it up. It'll be out next year. But The book is being rewritten as I'm writing it, because if you look back a year ago, oh, the Green New Deal could cost ninety three trillion dollars. It's going to essentially plan our lives. It's going to affect it. All of that is now out the window. We have COVID lockdowns, which have, have done more destruction to our society. One estimate in South Africa, I think, was 29 people die for every life allegedly saved during a, during a lockdown. And the economic, it's like bombing one's own economy, was in the report that I, I wrote, quoting experts on this. So the idea that climate change is the number one issue is gone out the window. They are going to now have climate is a subservient to their master of COVID. And it's for the exact reason you said. You can't scare people about hurricanes or floods or future sea level rise when you can tell them that their grandmother or their parent or they're gonna end up on a ventilator or die unless you f- wear a mask. We're talking about immunity passports, mandatory vaccines. Now, Qantas airline announced that you can't fly without a COVID passport. This is the dream of the regulatory state, COVID is. In fact, the quote, Jane Fonda, COVID is God's gift to the left. That's Hmm. what you need to know about this. And that's a direct exact quote from actress Jane Fonda speaking about the COVID restrictions and how much she loves it. Hmm. You know,
0: um, I remember in the last presidential debate, what I thought was a very powerful moment where Trump got Biden to say, yes, we would phase out the oil industry. It was shocking. It gave energy and momentum to Trump in the last weeks of the campaign. It was a big reason he really got out huge crowds in Pennsylvania, a fracking state. In the end, it wasn't enough, it looks like. But what will happen? You've got the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. You've got Gulf of Mexico offshore drilling. You've got fracking at full tail. You've got America Net Energy Exporter. Source of jobs, source of wealth, source of economic independence from OPEC countries. Is
2: Biden going to undo that? (laughs) He is going to undo everything you just mentioned. That's what he's about. That's what he's campaigned on. Even mainstream Democrats, we don't have to talk about the progressive lefts who may or may not hijack Biden. That's what mainstream Democrats want. Just so people understand, Harry Truman was last president in, uh, I guess, January or March, depending on the inaugurated, 1953. Donald Trump, in terms of America's energy dominance, we reached exports that we haven't achieved in dominance since Harry Truman was president. Hmm. And so what Joe Biden's going to do is come in and keep in mind this is a huge swaths of land. Places like California more than ha- I think I can't remember the number now, 70% may be federally owned. Biden on other states is going to ban fracking, ban drilling, ban energy exploration just on federal lands. What's the biggie? And this is going to have a huge impact that alone. And then that's also going to they're also going to put all sorts of new regulations on private fracking. Pennsylvania is doing its best now to shoot itself in the foot. Hmm. Uh, they are now their governor is joining the regional greenhouse gas initiative. all they're going to do they're not going to change the climate but they're going to destroy Pennsylvania fracking, raise energy costs, destroy the economy. This is happening because of their Democratic governor. This is happening across the board. Joe Biden can come in and within probably 18 months or less undo 90 percent of all the great things President Trump has done. There's just no way around it. My faulting of President Trump, he had an opportunity to change the narrative. That can't be undone as easily had a scientist on. They could have done a presidential climate committee. They could have done an official report to push back on the United Nations, the National Climate Assessment, to have alternative scientists with the stamp of the U.S. federal government. They never got around to it. Trump was for it. He okayed it. The staff deep-sixed it. And by the time Trump realized it, it was too close to the election. But that's where Trump failed. He never went after the narrative of climate. The policies can be reversed in 18 months or less. Sadly, that's where we're headed. Forget about American energy dominance. Forget about all of this. I can't imagine this changing unless the Republican, you know, Senate can somehow stop a lot of this. But a lot of this is done through through the ca- cabinet and executive order, the same way Obama did it, the same way President Trump undid it. So we're going to go back yin-yang, America's like this when it comes to climate and energy policy.
0: Well, I'm very depressed. Uh, I want to ask you, let's put aside climate. You're an expert on the subject. I really recommend your website, climatedepot.com. I've been a personal Fan of that website for many years now, even back right. at Sun News, where you and I first got to know each other. Right. Um, let's put climate aside for a second. Let's talk about politics, because um, you know I, I want to hold out hope. I'm I'm a real stubborn, lost causes kind of guy, but let us indulge the hypothetical situation, which most people think is overwhelmingly likely, that Trump finishes his term in January and Biden is sworn in, and the things you describe come to pass. And I ask you this not just because you're an expert in climate, because you used to work on Capitol Hill. You know the politics, and you follow it for the partisan excitement, as well as for the substance of your uh, expert file. Who do you see as hopeful uh, leaders of the future in the Republican Party? Who do you see as people who could motivate the motivated base of the party. Trump certainly did that. And be able to take on the media party, which Trump fought ferociously. Who? I I know this is a very preliminary question, a premature question, and it's off your area of expertise, which is climate. But I'm just curious, who do you see as the future face and voice of the Republicans?
2: Well, first of all, let me start out. I'm disappointed in Mike Pence. Mike Pence shows up at the White House briefings, accepts the COVID lockdown premise, wears the mask, does all that, never speaks out, doesn't seek any. Now, maybe he's doing a yin-yang, but I don't see him being the leader. I'm disappointed in Rand Paul when he had one-on-one with Fauci. I'm disappointed even in Ted Cruz and others. They just don't challenge what I see as the greatest threat to liberty, freedom, freedom economy is is this COVID lockdown. So the one person having asked what you asked me, my dark horse hope is Kristi Noem, governor of South Dakota. She not only gets it, her opening statement about why she didn't lock down issue mass mandates in South Dakota was she said her first thing was to look at the constitution and she couldn't find the authority to do any of that. She's given speeches, she's outspoken on this, she's strong, she hasn't wavered, unlike the Texas governor, unlike even the Florida governor, DeSantis, who's actually very good on the issue now, but he was very wobbly earlier on. Georgia, the same way. Uh, So I would say my favorite candidate right now, but it's a dark horse, because she has never been in national politics, is Governor Kristi Noem, South Dakota, because that's how important I think the COVID lockdowns to me Are the are the uh, litmus test, if you will, to run for president in 2024?
0: Well, it's It's funny you say that because uh, I'm a super fan of Kristi Noem, and I started to follow her when she introduced a bill called Riot Boosting, and I don't know if you know what I mentioned, but of course there's a lot of remember the. Dakota Access Pipeline and all the protesters and, of course, there's yes. the Keystone. So North Dakota is where a lot of the fracking, the Bakken geological formation is. But there's oil and gas in South Dakota. It's, it's along the route. So Kirstie Nome introduced a bill against riot boosting, which meant anyone who would foment uh, physical harm to a pipeline project could be pursued not only by the government, but by private actors. And they could sue for a multiple of damages. They could even sue people out of state. This was so remarkable to me. I did a a show on it saying, hey, Alberta, Canada, should copy this riot-boosting law because it basically says if you're whipping up, if you're Greenpeace in another jurisdiction, whipping up violence, trespass, sabotage, get ready to be prosecuted and to pay a multiple of the damages. And I thought, wow, this woman really defends the rule of law and oil and gas without shame. She was amazing on COVID-19. She looks great, very telegenic. Um, I mean, I I agree with you. My, My one worry is it's such a small state. She's not like a big state presence from Florida or Texas or something. But she sure looks good. She sure sounds good. Um, and uh, and she's young. she's a new generation. Uh,
2: she is and I think coming in 2024, I think we're gonna have maybe some of the same candidates that ran in 2020 and there's talk of even President Trump coming back. I don't see Trump coming back at all. Uh, just I just don't think you know I, I, un, well, it wouldn't be on unpre- I think it would be unprecedented actually for well it'd be like Teddy Roosevelt was the last one I could think that maybe did that. Um, but I think this is going to be a younger generation. The big question with Christy Nome, of course, is going to be: we don't want what happened to Sarah Palin to happen to her, uh, and so she has to make sure that she's savvy of the ways of the Washington media. But I think she is. She's been on Face the Nation. She's been on because COVID is a national issue. She's been on a lot of these shows. CNN. She's held her own. So I'm very optimistic, uh, and I think I think it's going to be a huge challenge because you're going to have the establishment Republicans trying to crush any of the so-called Trump uh, wing of the Republican Party, and they're gonna try to restore it back to the McCain-Romney wing. Remember, those were our two previous nominees before Trump came, and it's still a very powerful part of the party. So I expect a huge fight for the soul of the Republican Party the next four years, and I'm not sure where it's gonna end up.
0: You know, that's a very good point. The last two nominees, of course, uh, John McCain's widow came out and endorsed Joe Biden, Mitt Romney couldn't have been a bigger underminer, including in recent weeks. Um, It's incredible to me that the loser wing, I mean, listen, they they have their their moral strengths, they have their political strengths, both uh, Romney and the late McCain, but there is no denying the fact that they were as much sore losers as Hillary Clinton was, and they undermined Trump from the beginning. Um, I suppose that party has to find its identity. I mean, there's the Lincoln Project, the Never Trumpers, and then there's the energy of the party, the Make America Great Again ones. It'll be very interesting. Well, I'm sad about what's likely going to happen to oil and gas. Your predictions are often accurate. And listen, he said so in the debate. He's going to phase out oil and gas. Oil and gas won't go uh, without kicking and fighting the whole way. There's just too many jobs there and too much money there. But I don't think the uh, Democrats care. I mean, they don't care. It's about ideology for them now. Last word to you. No,
2: they don't. In fact, if you look at what's happening, AOC came out and is calling for uh, a shutting of all these restaurants. And and she said, don't worry about it because we can just pay them. The federal, the federal government can do a stimulus two, three, and we'll pay all these businesses. And that's the same thing they're going to look at. They're going to try to bail out all the, the fracking and the oil and what's left of the coal industry. They're just going, well, we'll pay you. Or in Biden's zone, we'll retool you to be computer programmers or something. It's just this sort of this fantasy that government can just take care of it like that. The problem here is in 1972, George McGovern ran as the universal basic income, a guaranteed income for all Americans. And now, 48 years later, we're at the doorstep of, of that happening. It, that's how great COVID has been. That's why Jane Fonda said it's got it's God's gift to the left, because now businesses through lockdowns and then add the Green New Deal it can crush not only the energy economy, but mom and pop restaurants, mom and pop businesses, gyms, just crush everything down. And then they're gonna say, don't worry, they're gonna love it, by the way, the progressive left because they want to do this. And then they're gonna pay paychecks and government direct assistance. Uh and they're finally going to get what they want. This is how you this is how uh you lose your freedom. You're gonna have only corporate chains, big business surviving. They're all woke, they're all on board with the mandated vaccines and the COVID passports and this is where we're headed, and I don't see many Republicans, a few Republican congressmen get it. But even the main ones, I mentioned Rand Paul and uh Ted Cruz, I don't hear them being leaders on these issues. This is this is our fight for freedom in the next couple of years. COVID's not going away anytime soon. It's just everything they hope for in an issue, and they're gonna use it to crush energy, small business, freedom. And they're going to empower the state like America has never, not just America, but you've seen it in Canada, you're seeing it in Australia, New Zealand, and the, in the UK, and uh, and, and with sadly, places like Israel. I didn't expect Israel to jump in this. I always thought they were more pro-science than this, but they've been engaging in the lockdowns. Uh, and all throughout Europe and, and South America, I mean, my favorite leader right now after Trump departs is going to be Bolsonaro in Brazil. Now, now people think you're a three-headed monster by saying that, that Bolsonaro is one of your favorite leaders. But he truly is uh, after after Trump's departure.
0: Hmm. Amazing. Mark, great to talk to you. Thanks for your time today.
2: Thank you, Ezra. I appreciate it. All right.
0: Mark Morano, the boss of ClimateDepot.com. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back to my monologue, Friday. Jer writes, this story made me sick to my stomach. Was this poor elderly woman needlessly euthanized? I believe we are going to learn the truth about this pandemic one day soon and we are not going to like it. Well, you can learn the truth about this pandemic every day. The truth is lying right out there. I don't think it's particularly hidden, is it? Leeds writes, this is appalling. Doctors are supposed to save lives and not take them. Yeah, I think that's an old-fashioned attitude. That whole Hippocratic oath business, do no harm. That's so 20th century. Ricky writes, they are killing a whole generation of seniors, the real men and women that built this country. You know, they're killing them. I mean, I truly believe there's something going on in seniors' homes, especially in Quebec. It makes no sense. How come 60% of all the deaths in Canada are in Quebec, and the vast majority of those in Quebec seniors' homes? I mean, it's, it's as if they're, they're the only places in... in, in the, it would be like Chernobyl. Something happened in Chernobyl, radiation, but there's no endemic excuse. There's no, nothing in the air, nothing in the water. There's no radiation. What is it about Quebec? Are they genetically different? No, they just really, really love euthanasia there. But it's more fun to talk about a pandemic, isn't it? Well, my friends, that's our news for today. That's our show for today. We've got such a busy week. We have so much in the days ahead. I can hardly wait to bring the news to you. Keep watching the stories on our YouTube pages, too, that's for sure. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good good night. Keep fighting for freedom.